It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 125 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Drive, with my co-host, the YouTuber Disney kid to my Dana White business model, Nick Braccia. It's good to be on with you, my friend. It's a new year. It's a new start. We're restarting our season, right? Like we're just we're just getting into this with a fresh slate, Nick. Yeah, man. And I needed the break. I felt a little MMA'd out, to be honest. So... Uh, happy New Year to you, and I'm looking for, you know, I, as usual, I had a strong Q4. You always seem to gas in the last couple months, and I really, <laughs> until that second to last card where I got decimated, I was picking up a lot of ground. Um, and, you know, that the last card of the year, the Derek Lewis, Chris Dawkins card, um, I had some good picks out of that. So, feeling... Feeling good, man. Feeling like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it and maybe give you some trouble uh, out of the gate this year. That's the hope, at least. Nick, keep that end of the season mindset, and I think you'll go a long way. This is, you know, this is the time when I usually pick up some points early on that end up, you know, giving you end up being difficult for you to kind of overcome in the second half of the year. This is the time, Nick. Have that underdog mentality right now, Nikolai. Cover those points. Get that lead early, and then it will be hard for me to climb up to your level. Nick. And we've got a little scoring change we want to tell our listeners about in the way that we do stuff. That's right. Um, uh, yeah. And, and the way that we normally do our draft competition, right? We each take turns picking fighters competing on the upcoming card. Uh, a winning pick is generally worth one point. Obviously, if your fighter loses, you don't get any points at the end of Saturday night. But uh, we did have that kind of bonus. If you pick an underdog of plus 150 or above, you get an extra point. And that obviously that underdog comes out with a win. You get an extra point. Um, if you now the the additional uh, uh, changes, if you pick an underdog of plus two fifty or above, Nick, you end up getting an extra two points instead of uh, uh, instead of an extra one point. So three points in total for a successful plus two fifty or above uh, underdog pick in the, in our draft competition. Nick, this could change the game. This could you know you get a couple of these, you're basically like suddenly yeah six and I points wanna... up. I want to test it out, but I actually don't think there's any plus 250 underdogs on this card. No, on paper, it's a fairly competitive card, I would say. Um, and the odds kind of represent that. Um, some odds might be ever so slightly flipped, you know, in favor of the other guy uh, from what you would assume. But generally close card on paper. Nick, have you been following and this? It lost, mm-hmm. it lost some really, it lost some big fights, this card. So we're starting uh, We're starting the year out with a little bit of a whimper from the UFC perspective. But go ahead. Yeah. What are you going to ask? What, what recent news are you going to ask me about Stan Dryev? Well, the, 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 this, this conversation, obviously, with the intro that we started with, the YouTuber kids and my Dana White business model, right? Uh, Jake right. Paul basically coming at Dana White consistently now for the umpteenth time, and it's all about fighter pay. Obviously, this is an angle that he's taking. Um, it, he see, there seems to be something genuine behind it, but I think the majority of it is that he's not only really good at picking his targets, he's really good at picking his fights, whether it be his matchups in boxing or this kind of social media war with Dana White, um, he's also really good at, at picking at his opponent's weaknesses, his mental weaknesses, right? The areas in which he's his like, opponent's yeah, well, actually he's, weak. He, he, has a, he has a Trumpian strategy. Jake Paul's communication strategy is very Trumpian. You think so? That's an interesting take, considering that he's... You, maybe you're right. He's taking this he angle repeats, of, like, he, I'm trying to he repeat, help the little man. It's, 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 repet, it's repetition. It's populist. 
Um, that is interesting. You're right. Yeah, I, and he and he yet he and he is the one who seems to get get all of the benefit. And every time you think that he's like on the ropes and and about to get his ass whooped, he seems to like come out looking all the better for it somehow. Um, yeah, that there's there's some truth to that. And it's funny considering Dana White's alliance with Trump and the fact that Dana White is extremely Trump-like in so many ways, including the, the UFC's business model. Um, but I think Jake Paul is taking this approach to Dana when it comes to fighter pay and all that. He's taking this approach, obviously trying to be more the baby face. It's almost like what Trump presents himself yes. to be to his followers uh, is what yes. Jake Paul is trying to do uh, kind of from the perspective of lower level MMA fighters as well as MMA fans in general. Um, it's starting to work a little bit, man. I've been talking about this for a while, right? Jake Paul is doing something right. Is he a high level fighter? No, but he clearly has the marketing. He clearly has the ability to make a shitload of money with little experience. He's beating guys like Tyron Woodley, man. Like Tyron Woodley's a good fucking, like a skilled overall fighter. Obviously is he's up there in age and he's super inactive, uh, when competing, but the dude is a high level fighter. He's a multi-time. He's not really UFC a boxer. Champion. I mean, no, he's but, not really a boxer. No, but he does have boxers, skill in that department. Boxers throw punches. He can, he can, yeah, he can punch. But rem- like, remember, Tyron, Tyron Woodley's explosiveness and those big overhands came often from him fainting, uh, you know, fainting a takedown. Like you're right. He can't if you're, or if with you're just him being against powered, the cage as his opponent walks right yes, into the right yes, hand. Yes, yes, yes. If right, it's you know he's not someone who's like, boy, look at the footwork, you know, etc. Now you, he did, he did, of course, land big on guys like Darren Till and Tyron Woodley's a good MMA fighter. It's just like boxing's a different sport. It is. It's just a different sport. Yeah, you're not. You're not kidding. Uh, it is. It is a different sport. But I mean, still. It's still impressive, right? Like what you do have to take away is, from Jake not, Paul. It, it is impre- it is impressive. Yeah. But he's also he's also forty probably walks around forty pounds heavier. Yes, that is the he, biggest factor. Thirty pounds right. heavier. He's tall and he's young, and it's like, yeah, and un, and like a, a big guy with a little skills. Like, sure, it's but I we you know we're not gonna we're not gonna see him compete against a boxer that's the same size and age of, of him who's been boxing consistently, you know, since they were a kid. Well, it's, it's it sounds like, it sounds like that is the next matchup against this Fury kid, right? Against Tyson Fury's little brother. Like that, yeah, that's as get, close I mean, as it gets. An up and coming boxer guy, who's the, undefeated. He's, he's not, he's not undefeated. I don't think. Yeah, he is. I'm pretty sure he is. But again, he's fought really bad competition and has not been extremely yeah. impressive per se. So this is a reason Jake Paul's, Picking this fight, but still, this is a guy that's of a similar no, you're right. size. He's, yeah, he's seven and zero. Yeah, seven and zero. Similar right. size, similar athleticism. Um, you know, on paper, has the resources through his brothers, through his family, to get high level boxing training for this matchup, right? Which is not the case with most of these MMA guys. Even though Woodley might have um, the on paper resources, he doesn't have you know really the connections to uh, he, like his regular team around him are not a bunch of experts at the uh, at, at the at the boxing specifically, and. That's different in this matchup. So Jake Paul is taking the next progressive step. Um, you know, he's, at least he's not fighting somebody that's much smaller than him this time. He's not fighting, you know, a guy that doesn't box for a living. So he's heading there. The, the guy only has a couple of fights. If you look at most of the high-level boxers, if you look at their first few fights, whether it is in the amateurs or in the pros, their opposition was um, 
as bad or in some cases worse than Jake Paul's first few opponents. Granted, they were probably more similarly sized, but yeah, Jake Paul's, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's picking the right opposition, whether it be Dana White over social media or the opposition that he's picked so far, people with followers, people with championships uh, under, you know, in, on their record, yeah, he's right? Very, he's very savvy from a marketing perspective and you don't get to be a YouTube star without being such. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, th- I think there's more to it. There's a lot of YouTube stars that can't do what Jake Paul's doing right now that aren't making the kind of money that Jake Paul. Oh, uh, I just mean so. he's. I just yeah, mean he's apply- He applies the same things that made him a YouTube star to to. I think you're right. Um, his his prowess as a promoter. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm just not that. It's for me the tri- the thriller stuff is generally speaking just like one level above celebrity boxing, and I. I don't much enjoy that it exists or that it gets uh, coverage or traction. Well, yeah. you, you would you would agree that um, Tyron Woodley is multiple steps above um, celebrity boxing, right? A few, I think he's a few steps above. He's not a he's not a boxer. He's a popular person who came from a different sport where he was kind of washed up. True, I don't, but. I just, uh-huh. I just don't think that the and I'm talking about tri- like thriller events um, in general. I'd much rather see Jake Paul fighting on the to bring viewership to the under to the undercard of a. I mean, Canelo is probably not the right choice, but <laughs> of a Tiafilo, you know, Tiafilo. Uh, oh my God, Lopez card or a um, a Lomo card or something or a Triple G card if that still made sense. Like, I just. Uh, Triller, I just think Triller is kind of gross. Oh yeah, I mean he he hasn't been with Triller. I think he only did one or two fights with Triller, and and you know he's left them behind. He's now fighting for Showtime. Oh, that's right, and then he's with Showtime. Yeah, I think and I think Showtime's kind of gross too. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, you know, they, they they do have some high level boxing on their platform, but obviously they this do, being their but, biggest but star is a concern. The, yeah. um, there's also something to be said for the fact that Jake Paul claims to be selling millions of pay-per-views. It turns out he sold about 65,000 pay-per-views, at least through like DirecTV and cable networks. Um, I would imagine that a good portion of his fan base would be ordering his pay-per-views online, and those numbers aren't out. I'm sure it wasn't phenomenal numbers, but like 65,000 is really concerning. Also, I would imagine that like the majority of Jake Paul users are used to getting their shit for free through like pirate streaming and that kind of thing. So I wonder how much effect that's having on the number of people that are ordering his pay-per-views. Yeah, but, I don't know. But but he's not commanding the kind of audience onto pay-per-views that we thought he might. Maybe it's because he was fight, fighting Woodley again, and it's not like it was a great you know fight to watch the first time around. So I don't know why people would be excited to pay for it a second time, especially on a week or two's notice, uh, given that he was kind of a none last of them are going to be none of them are going to be great fights. It's just going to be like, oh, does the YouTube guy get knocked out, or does he do, or does he pull off a miracle? Like technically, they're not fun no. to watch. No, no, not not particularly. And it's I like mean, you know, it's like it's it's Kimbo Slice all over again in a lot of ways. In in some ways, yeah, I would say Jake Paul's shown that he has more like conditioning and overall probably skill than Kimbo Slice. If I'm going to be honest, like. Kimbo Slice fought and beat lower level opposition than Jake Paul is. Granted, he fought generally people his size in MMA, but it was lower level competition that Jake Paul is currently competing with. Um, he got schooled by guys like Tyron Woodley, even if he was way past his prime. So again, like th- there needs to be some due given to the guy, especially considering his experience and age. Uh, but you know, it, he's he, he's winning me over, and he he's been impressive in his own ways and his ability to make money and garner attention. But he's winning me over with this Dana White thing all the more, man. Just going after Dana White for all the right reasons, man. He knows what he's doing. He knows 
how to get on the right side of the MMA uh, on the of the MMA fans, and uh, it's kind of impressive. I, I wonder what angle he's going to figure out to get onto the right side of the boxing fan base. Uh, Nikolai, we have a card to break down. UFC Fight Night Chikadze versus Qatar. This is a pretty high level featherweight matchup, and the winner of this, yeah. if it's if it's Giga Chikadze, he could easily end up fighting Volkanovski in what is it a, a couple of months time March. as Max yeah. Holloway pulled out uh, literally two days after the fight was announced. If he wins, uh, if Chikadze wins in spectacular, if Chikadze wins in spectacular fashion and gets out of here without any injury, makes complete sense. It really does. And there's a fair chance he will, man. He's been looking so good. He's been on a finishing streak. Clearly uh, has come a long way from losing his contender series fight several years ago to a, like a pretty mediocre kind of uh, regional level MMA opponent, right? He didn't have the ground game back then. He didn't have the, the experience. He didn't have the skill. He's there now, man. He has the uh, kind of confidence in his ground game now to actually let his kicks go, let his hands go and be aggressive. Whereas he wasn't very aggressive in his first handful of UFC fights, um, he's come a long way, man, and he feels like he's ready for the title. He's he's finished some really high level opposition, inclu- including Cub Swanson, who's coming off of a pretty impressive victory on his own. So if he can get this one over Cater, which is asking for a lot because Cater really is a high level featherweight, despite losing to Max Holloway. Right? There's a lot of guys that can lose to Max Holloway, but are still phenomenal fighters. Cater, I, I tend to think, falls into that category. So this will be a big test for Chikaze. The odds of him just getting Cater yeah. out of there in you know in a couple of minutes, like he has been over his last couple of opponents, not very high. So he's going to need to he's going to need to prove himself in this one against speaking a really capable boxer. Speaking of Cub Swanson, you know, coming off of that nice win against Elkins, um, I don't know if you've heard this talk, but Cub Swanson, I don't know if he's speaking specifically about a retirement fight, um, but he's speaking about uh, a kind of honorary WEC championship fight. He is called out in a very respectful way, the California kid Uriah Faber. And as far as Legends fights go, I'd like to see Cub Swanson Uriah Faber. I think that'd be really fun. I'm into it. Um, Cub Swanson has been talking about moving down to 135. I think that makes plenty of sense. If Faber is still down to fight, which he, he did he re-retire yet? He still ha- no, he didn't. He still has. Uh, he has a con. He's a- he has a contract with fights on it. He just hasn't has hasn't taken a fight. It makes sense. So he's o- he's still like uh, he's still only post his like second retirement in MMA or something. He still has a couple more in him. So yeah, look, th- that'll be a fun uh, fight to watch. I think like stylistically and given the trajectory of their careers, the fact that these are both like longtime veterans and fan favorites who you'd never think would match up since your Faber moved down from 145, this is a matchup that can now happen and, and it should be interesting. I, I tend to think there should be a decent size uh, difference in that matchup, but should be interesting, man. I'd be, I'd be into watching that. I don't know it's if you're It's kind of wild. They, yeah. It's wild but, they didn't fight before. Agreed. Yeah, I think much of it has to do with the fact that Faber moved down weight classes at kind of the right time. Well, I, I mean, I mean, even in the WEC, right? You know, right before they were, you know, they were both at 145 there. Um, but, but you know, Cub took a little bit to find his, uh, you know, to find his groove, and he really, he really blossomed in the UFC. Yep. Yeah, After you're right having, about that. He, you know, remember Cub Swanson had those, he had those rough losses to Jen. He had a, he was choked out very quickly by Jens Pulver. That's right. He was clubbing sub by and Pulver, he, and then he, yeah. and he was. And he was, uh, which I think is what led up to Jens got, Pulver getting a matchup against Uriah Faber. So that's how close those two guys it is, were. It's exactly, it, it's a, it's exactly, uh, it's exactly the case. Right. Um, and he also, um, you know, he had a couple of wins, and then after that, Cub had the uh, 
the eight second loss to Jose Aldo that really put Aldo on the map as a you know monster in 2009. That's right. That, yeah, you're, you're right about that. And Cub, again, he was never the guy to be at the very top, to be in that top five or six. He was always the guy that was just under that. He was he was kind of the gatekeeper to the top ten, uh, or I should say the top five or six. Um, and honestly, like remains a gatekeeper to the top ten even to this day, which is impressive given his uh, given his age and all the miles he has on him. So, Nikolai, let's let's get into this card. Um, do you want the first pick on this one, Nick? Oh, you're just giving it out. Um, Go for it. Sure. I'll take it. Listen, this is a, uh, there's one rematch on this card and I have no evidence that the outcome is going to be any different than the first time. And and that's, uh, Caitlin Kuchagian is taking on Jennifer Maya and Jennifer Maya is a fighter who, uh, generally seems like she's effective when she has, uh, when she has a strength advantage. Um, and when she can get the fight dirty and and kind of like come in close and like work against the cage, well, Caitlin Kuchagian is a pretty darn strong, and and uh, b keeps distance and fights from distance uh, as well as anybody uh, in her division. So I just don't I don't see a path to victory here uh, for Jennifer Maya. I think it's going to be a pretty boring fight. Um, but I expect it's going to be another, you know, fairly uh, easy day at the office for Chukagian when a to win a, a 30-27, maybe 29-28 decision. Just don't see a real path for Maya here. Um, I do see a path, um, and and I could see there being a higher chance of her executing on it. Now, back when they fought a couple of years ago, Chukagian refused to stay in the pocket. She would just uh, kind of whiff largely missed punches from the outside and kicks and, and just kind of score blocked basically win based on blocked kicks and a bunch of missed thrown punches because her opponents couldn't really get to her. And now she's a lot more comfortable staying in the pocket, which has worked for her against like mid, you know, like, like bottom of the rung top 15ers, but hasn't really worked well against the very top girls like Jessica Andrade and Valentina Shevchenko who are, you know, you don't want to stay in the pocket with those girls. I mean, those are, Caitlin those Chukagian. are, yeah, they're elite strikers. They're much better True. strikers than Jennifer Maya is. Uh, I don't think Jennifer Maya is a great, is a great striker. She's got some pop, but I don't think she's very, I don't think she's very fast. And, um, no, she's not you know, terribly we've seen, fast. We've seen, and we've seen fighters who aren't that durable, like eat her shots without a lot of difficulty. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing about Maya is she's kind of a soup to nuts kickboxer. Uh, everything is generally by the book. She's not always aggressive enough, and that's probably a point against her. Um, she can't get tagged because she usually has the reach disadvantage, which she has in this matchup as well. But she can get top position against Shukagian, who still doesn't have the best defensive wrestling. She has good offensive wrestling. But Maya is a physically strong fighter at 125, one of the strongest. She's rem- Remember, she's the one that held down Valentina Shevchenko for an entire round. Granted, just held her down, didn't do much damage, but clearly won that second round against um, Valentina Shevchenko and Shukagian just got absolutely throttled by Shevchenko. There was not a single decent yeah, moment but, for Shevchenko in that fight. Um, so Maya I know, I know it's kind of MMA math. Her. Yeah, well, but look, no, I mean, not in the first. If you fight. want to talk MMA math, if you want to, if you yeah, if you want to look at MMA math, like like she wasn't able to overpower Shukagian in their first fight, and also Shukagian knows what she feels like. No matter what, Jennifer Maya is not going to feel physically different in here like she's she's not there hasn't been enough time like i think jukagian knows what to i think she knows what to expect and i think mostly she's going to get the same fighter and frankly one who's a little bit older now so i think uh i think it's a rough draw for for maya 
Interesting you mentioned that Maya might not feel different. Her like head coach, I think it is, the guy that usually talks in her corner, is just this incredibly muscled up Brazilian man um, who looks like, you know, he's got the strength and conditioning diet of, of many Brazilian large muscled up men. Um, so who knows? Maybe maybe she does have a, a very different strength and conditioning program at this point. I agree with you on the Chukagian pick. Um, naturally, there's some risk. I do think the odds should be a little bit closer than Chukagian at minus 170, but largely there with you on the pick. Nick, uh, you just picked, I think, the co-main event, especially with the uh, mat- the, the matchup between... Uh, um, who, who was it that was supposed to fight uh, uh, Pereira, Michelle Pereira, uh, being scrapped? Uh, I'm going to take the main event, yeah. Nick. I'm, I'm going to pick from wow. the okay. yeah. Um, I'm going to pick from the Cater uh, Chikadze matchup. Calvin is 22 on five overall, six and three in the UFC. Like these stats are fairly impressive. Six and three in the UFC, and his wins are over guys like Shane Burgos, Ricardo uh, Lamas, Jeremy Stevens. Wait, is that Ricardo? Yeah, it is Ricardo Lamas. Trains with uh, Rob Fawn, who's a pretty high level 135er. Occasionally spends time in Vegas at Syndicate MMA. He's got an excellent jab, just really, really good boxing fundamentals, and just a serious right hand when he can land it clean. His losses are to guys like Yair Rodriguez and Zabit Magomed Sharipov uh, against Max Holloway. Good fight right? against Zabit, by the way. Y- yeah, Zabit, yeah. You know, the third round. He, he there, ends up looking like, at that third round. That third round. Which you know, Zabit being exhausted, um, you know, it, it's still impressive. It's it's still good to be fair. And if it was a five round, he clearly would have beat. Zabit Magomed Sharipov, but it seems to be the taller guys who are have really adept kicks and overall good kickboxing game that give him trouble. Right? If if you just look at the yep. three guys that he's lost to in the UFC, Max Zabit and Yair, that describes Giga Chikadze in a nutshell. Uh, I think one of the th- issues with Cater, even though he's been using more of his kicks uh, recently than he did in the first part of his UFC career, is that. He's mostly a boxing-centric fighter, and it's very easy to keep him at kicking range as long as you have decent yes. footwork. And Giga has all of that, right? Giga has incredibly, incredibly powerful kicks, especially that left kick to the body, which he's known for. Left kick to the head is serious. Um, and with his hands, he shouldn't be uncompetitive in the pocket with Cater. I would tend to think that he might be more aggressive, especially with Cater coming off of some of the trials and tribulations that he's been coming off uh, in, in the last little while. You know, him and Rob Font presumably are not at their most confident level right now, both coming off of, again, some some rough fights recently. I'm going to pick Kiga here. Um, I, I think it's going to take more than just like a single or, or two body kicks to end this fight. Um, unless Cater's really just like in a bad place mentally and physically. Um, I think Giga's going to have to work for it. I, I think... Maybe he won't get a finish in this one, although he's certainly capable. This version of him is very capable of getting finishes, but I do think he'll he'll win a pretty clear-cut decision where he wins at least three of those rounds very clearly, and two of them might be a, a bit more competitive. But I like Giga Chikadze here. Um, I see some value in him. I think he's worth putting into some parlays given the style matchup. Uh, this was actually going to be my next pick, and I agree with you completely. Um, I'm worried about how much damage Qatar took. Um in that fight with Max, which was an incredible amount of damage, and Giga's confidence and ability to keep this fight at you know at kicking range. There's the chance that he that he that he screws that up a little bit and gets drilled on a counter, uh, you know, put on his ass. But but I tend I tend to agree with everything uh, that you said, and I I, I know how hard uh, Calvin is to finish, but if he lands you know trademark that Giga kick. To the liver, it doesn't it doesn't matter? I think how tough you are necessarily. If your if your body shuts down, that seems to be 
the kind of shot that you know doesn't really care who you, <laughs> who you are as a person. It just I think you're it right. just completely it completely glitches your organs out. Um, so I was yeah same same pick and uh, damn it because I thought I thought I didn't think you were going to go for that so quickly so I was going to go for it next. I think both of these fights the first the co main event and the main event I feel pretty confident about the outcome even though. They, I, I do expect them to be competitive, like very competitive fights, but I just feel that the path, the path to victory for one fighter is much more difficult than the other. Um, my next fight is, you know, listen, when you're talking about uh, fighters coming up, you look for different things. Being from Russia is a thing that I look for. Another thing I look for is their camp. And we've got uh, Vyacheslav uh, Borshev coming out of uh, Volgograd, Russia, and f- training... Uh, with uh, Tam, Team Alpha Male. And he's getting a matchup here against uh, Dakota Bush, the guy with the man with the worst nickname in all of MMA. And he's coming off that loss against Austin Hubbard. Um, I, ex- I expect, uh, I-, I think this is a bit of a, sh- a little bit of a showcase fight. I get the sense the UFC doesn't love Dakota Bush. Um, and he's, and uh, Borshev's coming off of a uh, Dana White Contender Series win. Um, we are, he had a big knockout uh, just in October, so I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with him to have a, a very successful uh, UFC debut. Yeah, I'm there with you. I I like uh, Vyacheslav Borshev in this matchup as well. I think like I I think the guy's got pretty like gritty gritty offensive boxing. He just like pressures forward, pretty aggressive, pretty crafty, specifically with this boxing. Trains with a good team, like you mentioned. Dakota Bush has good distant kicks if we can keep this at kicking range right he's got the ufc experience um if you can keep this at kicking range if you can get take this to the ground i think he could do well here uh so it's not like an open and shut case but i do re- agree with you on the pick uh and picking the newcomer there i'm gonna pick another newcomer coming into the ufc nikolai i'm gonna take joseph holmes over jamie pickett both these guys are super tall for the weight division holmes is uh six four has a good jab kind of a rear kick based game uh almost like a almost like a slightly less talented Jamal Hill but really Holmes shines on the floor right he just like takes top position takes your back uh, chokes people out um trains under James Crouch which is another thing to his credit coming off of a win on contender series and Pickett is a guy who when like when he's aggressive he can do real damage he's super tall has a lot of reach has serious power in his hands he's very fast but he doesn't utilize his reach advantage he constantly kind of smothers smaller guys and, and, and crashes the pocket and, and gives the smaller guy the opportunity to, to get him. Um, but he's fast in his heart, right? The, the mindset seems to be the deficiency in him and that he's not using all of his talents. And I don't necessarily trust him to use them against Holmes, even though Holmes has less kind of UFC or high-level experience. Uh, I like Holmes here. He's less uh, experienced, like I said, but very talented, has a process to his game, and Pickett does not. Um, it's just bursts of regression in between minutes of inactivity. So uh, I, I feel pretty good about the newcomer and Joseph Holmes here. What do you, you know? What how do you, how do you feel about the fact that he's a, a late replacement? I don't know exactly when that happened. Um, coming in for uh, K, Cow uh, Barallo. I always fuck up that. Oh, Ch- Ch- Chow um, Bar- Chow Barello or something, I think. Um, Chow Barello, yeah, yeah. Head with that's actually a very good point. I'm not sure how late of a replacement he was. Let's see. Um, let me see if I can quickly look that up. He's fighting Pickett here, right? That, that's a very good point. I will but say, you here's know, a, 80, 80% of people on Tapology are picking Holmes, and I, and I was picking Holmes, but I'm curious as to 
when the the original picket fight was canceled. Yeah, I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing, unfortunately, uh, Joseph Holmes' late replacement, Jamie Pickett. I'm not seeing a whole lot of info on that. Here, here's what I'm assuming, right? If you if you just came off of a contender series win, you train with a good camp, especially James Krause's camp. Yeah. You have to know to be fucking ready. And especially when you're not facing like a serious prospect or a serious contender, you're facing a guy with a spotty UFC record who has real holes in his game. I think that's a situation in which you can do okay. Like Pickett's dangerous when he's willing to be, right? But he hasn't looked good so far. So I'm I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not placing enough confidence in him, even on short notice. Uh, I like the up and comer here. But again, Pickett has the skills to win most of the matchups that he's competed in the UFC so far. Maybe all of them. He has the skills. He just chooses not to use them because he's not mentally in tune, I think. So, you know, there's a chance Holmes gets surprised in his UFC debut, but I like that he trains with a high-level team and that he's coming off of contender series win uh, late last year. Cool. Good point, though. Who you got next? Um, let me mark you down for that one. I mean, honestly, geez, this card gets so spotty after this. Um, tough fight, Tough fights to pick. I'm, I'm going to go with in this heavyweight fight uh chase sherman over jay collier uh i think this is close to a pick him at heavyweight but i feel like jay collier is still kind of a beefed up although he's not that much shorter i think he's maybe one and shorter he's kind of a beefed up light heavyweight or middleweight and i think chase sherman's a, a bigger dude um and they both have i think pretty good hands but I feel like Sherman's like I feel like Sherman's size and conditioning uh, is gonna re- and he's really durable um, as we've seen in his fights with you know Arlovsky with Porter um, and Collier aside from his win against Gian Vellante, which isn't necessarily a big deal um, hasn't he's he's looked okay but he just hasn't really to me looked um, UFC level even even for heavyweight um, so I I think. Uh, I think this fight's mostly going to be ugly. I don't see a KO. I see a Chase Sherman uh, decision. Maybe, maybe twenty nine, twenty eight. But I, but I think Sherman uh, will will control enough of the fight. Use use his his size, and I think being just the more uh, slightly more athletic and fit fighter. I'm not sure why you believe in Chase Sherman as much as you do, Nick. Maybe you've only seen like the first rounds of a couple of his fights against shitty opposition in the UFC, but like he doesn't. He's fast and athletic early. He hits fairly hard. Doesn't have much heart. He's actually not very durable. Like, he gets clocked, and he just, like, loses his marbles and is finishable. Andre Arlovsky doesn't finish people, right? So, like, surviving to a decision with him isn't a major credit to him. Basically, like, decent offensive and very little defensive on him. Like, his gas tank is not great. Collier started at 185, and if you can be, like, a middling 185-er, you can be, like, a like a decent heavyweight, as long as you have some skill. And, you know, he's coming off of a win over Gian Vellante, a very close decision loss to Carlos Diego Philippe, who's a pretty decent heavyweight. Like, that fight could have easily gone either way. So I like Collier in this one, man. I, th- I think Collier is going to do his thing to Chase Sherman. He's, he's, like, he's not super slow. He's not slow for heavyweight. He doesn't have a bad gas tank from what we've seen for the most part, right? Um, and Chase Sherman gasses more than most people. Uh, Collier is fairly durable. Granted, he lost to Aspinall in the first round, but it was after a long layoff, and he's looked pretty good ever since. So I like Collier in this one. Um, Chase Sherman has a chance of getting a stoppage in, in the first five minutes or so, but I, I'm not a believer in that guy at all. I think he's a pretty shitty heavyweight overall. Um, so I disagree with you on this pick, and I think this is our first point of disagreement. My next pick, 
is going to be I'm going to go ahead and take an underdog, Nick, because you only live once. And this one's worth two points, and I th- I feel like it's worth a flyer. In the Gabriel Benitez-TJ Brown matchup, Brown is like, he's fast, he's athletic, he's got good wrestling. Um, his I would say his big weakness is really his chin, right? Like where you can get tagged by some decent hitters. Benitez has won most of his fights on kind of grift and uh, grit, excuse me, and craft he's fast and kicks hard for the division well conditioned most of the time and fights well off his back foot but it seems like he's on a bit of a downturn even though he's just 33 years old he beats the guys that barely belong in the UFC and loses the guys in the cusp of the top 15 it's hard to tell where Brown is on that scale but I'm gonna assume he's he doesn't get tagged and wins kind of a hard-fought decision over Benitez gets enough moments of top position puts enough pressure on him lands enough shots on the feet um, I just feel like a plus 160. TJ Brown, given his athleticism and overall offensive skill, he's worth a, a flyer here against a guy who's not been looking awesome lately. I actually agree with that pick, and that was my next one. So good job stealing the extra point for me, potentially. Nice. Uh, um, let's see. Let me just check these odds real quick. Checking the odds, checking the odds. Okay, yeah, it's not enough of an underdog to net me anything, so I'm not going to take that right now. Um, I'm going to go with that other main card fight, the flyweight one. Um, I th- This is going to be one of those things where like, we've all really enjoyed Brandon Royval getting in there and fighting uh, top-level competition. He's also new enough to the game that I think that his we're going to see uh, leaps and bounds uh, in improvement following um, his submission loss to the champion. I mean, that's crazy with the amount of experience this guy has. He already has a submission loss to the champion. Um, True. And uh, I, I like. I mean, I think Bonterian's really is really good and is certainly a live dog here. But I, I like I like Royval's uh, slick jits to to lock up a choke or uh, take an arm in the fight. You, I'm sorry, you're picking who? Royval. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not sure why you're. I mean, I can see why you're a believer in Royval. He's got a couple of good wins. He's like super scrappy. Um, always can surprise you with either a submission or some spinning craziness. But I like Bontorin in this one. I realize Bontorin can get tagged, but Bontorin is like a really good grappler. He's strong. He's explosive. Um, worries me that he got tagged by Kai Carl France a couple of fights ago, but he's since then come back and looked really good against really good opposition. Um, and I, I think I think Bontorin's going to be able to control the wrestling elements of this fight. I think there's some risk standing because Rival is just so reckless standing up. He just keeps throwing craziness. Um, but Ry- Bontorin should be able to get top position and, and I think control and do well from there. Standing up, it should be relatively competitive. Uh, I, I just like Bontorin's uh, jiu-jitsu pedigree, the fact that he's more likely to be on top, and I don't think he's likely to get submitted by Royval, even though Royval is pretty crafty overall. And remember, you are the man who picked Royval over Moreno uh, uh, just in Royval's last fight, and you and I disagreed on that one. So granted, that was an injury thing, and who knows, maybe Royval is, is an incredible fighter. He did lose to Pantoja after that, am I correct? He got finished by him. Um, I like, yeah, he did. I, I like Rogeri Bontorin, who in a lot of ways is similar to Pantoja in his style. Um, 
and I I think the style matchup favors him. Uh, he's he's not quite as experienced as Pantoja, but he's got a lot of skill, and I, I like Bunter in a lot. Um, I disagree with you on that one. You're picking Brandon Roy Ball. It's another point of disagreement. Uh, next up, I'm going to take. This is where it gets really difficult. I guess I'm going to go ahead and take Saeed Yokub Karamonov to beat Brian Kelliger. Kelliger's yeah. a really good fighter, man. He usually beats these guys that are supposed to be prospects entering the UFC who are supposed to like shoot straight up. And he usually like stops these guys from uh, gaining that momentum, at least through him. But Saeed Yokubov is going to be the much bigger man here. Uh, he won his UFC debut against Trevin Jones, who's a really good fighter, who was 2-0 outside of that in the UFC with two big knockouts over a really good opposition. Um, he showed really good takedown defense in that month. That one, he showed really sharp striking, showed really good submissions, man, like submission attempt after submission attempt by this guy. Um, so I think on the ground, he should be able to hang with Kelliger. I think the concern is, can Kelliger get top position? I don't expect Kelliger to be able to finish a guillotine here, but can he get top position? And if he can, um, can he you know, get to dominant position and, and, and kind of do his thing from there? That's probably his best way to win, although his striking has been coming up uh, ways in leagues. I like Saeed Yakub uh, Korman-Nogov. Uh, Surprised he's a, he's a decent-sized favorite, but I think given the attributes that I just mentioned, it kind of makes sense. Um, do you agree with that one, or do you have Kelliger? I do. I do. I had the same pick. Yep. Um, I'm just thinking about my next pick because it's all just, it's all difficult, difficult stuff over, uh, from here on out. Yep. Um, I think I'm not going to pick the fight that I've been focusing on cause I'm too, I'm too nervous about it. Um, and instead I think, um, you know, like court McGee's been around a really long time. And he's had he had some tough draws the last couple of years, and Sean Brady and a, a somewhat reinvigorated Carlos Condit before um, before beating Claudio Silva, and he's got this you know this draw in in Ramiz uh, Brahimaj, and it's just that Court McGee is an awkward t- he's an awkward tough out. He he's the kind of guy who ends up in a lot of very very close decisions where you're not sure. Uh, we're not sure what's going to go on, but he's got so much experience. Um, I just don't, uh, I don't see, I don't see anything in, in Brahmaj's, uh, skill set that he hasn't, that he hasn't dealt with before, except, except better. And I think McGee's looked really good. I think, I I don't think it's necessarily going to be a pretty fight. Um, but I think I'm going to go with, I think I'm going to go with McGee to win a decision. Yeah, super close one is the reason it's one of our last couple of picks here. McGee was never athletic, but his grit and durability was enough to bring him like a decent amount of success in the UFC over the course of his career. Now he's less durable. He's clearly slower than most high-level opponents. He's, uh, you know, on the smaller side of well of today's welterweight, even though he started at middleweight. Brahimash is a Fortis MMA guy, uh, really just good top position grappler, really crafty submissions from there. Power on the feet, but not very high-level game, no real process to, to his uh, kickboxing. I agree with you. I think this will be close. I'm favoring McGee because his takedown defense has held up for the most part. I think he's going to be able to avoid most takedowns against, uh, unless Brahimash is just like on a different level athletically from McGee, which is quite possible. And uh, like, if you think about um, McGee having a close fight, and I think he even beat Max, um, 
who's uh, who's the common opponent that they both uh, Max Griffin um, and Max Griffin kind of you know kind of styled on Brahimaj a little bit. Um, the MMA math kind of factors in there a little bit, despite the age and athleticism difference. I'm I'm gonna agree with you on McGee, but really tough fight fight to pick. Um, on in my next pick, we've got Bill Algio and Joe Anderson Brito, and then Vanessa Demopoulos. Uh. Versus Silvana Gomez Juarez. That's <laughs> good luck. Yeah, it's a good tough luck. couple of fights to pick from. I wait, think is, gonna, one, is, one, is only this last is only this next pick gonna gonna count, and the other will be a backup. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm hoping okay. that they'll uh, get a replacement for that Mich- for Michelle Pereira to face, so that hopefully he can get on this card, and maybe you and I can each get a get a pick off of this. Um, I I'm gonna take I. I, I guess uh, I'm, I'm going to take the Bill Algio, Joe Anderson, Brito matchup. Algio is like so far in the UFC, he's fought like really high level opposition, one and two uh, in his UFC career, right? But their losses are to Her- yeah. Ricardo uh, Ramos and Ricardo Ramos, right? And Ramos. Both extremely close fights that could have gone Algio's way. He's a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt, not like a very high level one, but crafty and, and capable there. Algeo's stand-up was almost exclusively kick-based, and it's effective since, since he has the gas tank to keep throwing kicks basically throughout a three-round fight. Takedown defense is pretty bad, though. Even though he has, does a good job of scrambling, scrambling up to his feet against most opponents, Brito is fast, he's explosive, good offensive wrestling, solid ground to pound from top position, fast, hard-striking, but not very high-level and not very good defense standing. He's just, like, explosive and just, like, does stuff in the blink of an eye, but... It's not super technical usually, and his defense is not minded. Um, he's only 26 years old, right? So, like, the, the kid's on the come up. Because of his takedowns and athleticism, I guess I'll favor Brito slightly, but I can absolutely see Algio continuing to get back up to his feet and continuing to just land uh, his kicks or at least make enough noise with his kicks so that the judges give him the edge. Algio has the experience. It's a really hard one. I I'm, I'm guess I'm going to favor the uh, less experienced Joe Anderson Brito ever, ever so slightly because he's so goddamn athletic. But Algio's got everything he needs to win this fight, in my opinion. Yeah, this is... Um, I was going to pick Algio if it came to it, but it was really difficult. Well, I watched I watched a bunch of Joe Anderson Brito footage, and like he's so aggressive. And like I, he jabs sometimes, but he also leads in with like massive explosive hooks yep. with his chin way out, with his chin way out over his waist and Algio is pre- pretty good with a counter um, and he seems he seems to be pretty smart uh, in the way that he approaches stuff I don't think with the power of the guys that he's already faced dealing with a Spike Carlisle dealing with a, with a Ricardo Lamos um, that he's going to be intimidated um, but yes in, in addition to that ex- the, those explosive jumping in sh- uh punches uh anderson also has some pretty good has some pretty good takedowns um i could see algio's experience here in the in in the big show um versus brito only having i think a contender series fight um you know helping him and him not getting kind of brito off his game by landing those counters so i think it's going to be super close i think it could go algio's way but i'm glad you're picking it and not me um and then we have the so, Vanessa Demopoulos versus Silvana Gomez Juarez uh, matchup. Who do you favor in that one? Yeah, uh, I think I favor the late replacement Juarez, um, but not not for a whole bunch of reasons. <laughs> um, yeah, Demopoulos is like pretty aggressive offensively, not very technical. She's athletic. 
Doesn't have good takedown defense. Doesn't really do a good job of getting up from bottom. Not much of a ground game, but she is super tough, super gritty. Will not stop trying even if she's getting outclassed. She's well-conditioned too. She held the LFA strawweight title and actually lost it to Lupita Gudinez, who uh, in in uh, Gomez Juarez's last fight, Lupita Gudinez... They both lost Gudinez. to them. They both lost to her, but uh, Juarez yeah. lost to her. Basically, got schooled like like I don't know a minute and a half in the first round. Got completely taken out of there by TKO. Whereas Demopoulos actually went to like a forty eight forty seven five round decision with her. Right? Granted, I thought she she probably she probably didn't deserve two rounds, maybe just one. But it was a competitive fight, and and like Demopoulos never stopped trying in the second half of the fight. Because it's a three-round fight and Juarez is pretty crafty, like she's pretty technical standing, I guess I'll choose her. She's got like good jabs, sets up her right hand well, throws plenty of calf kicks, but she's 37 years old, right? So like being an entrant into the UFC as a prospect at 37 is not a great sign. Uh, trains with uh, with some pretty high-level uh, uh, people, trains at the same team, um, if I remember correctly, as Brandon Moreno. So pretty high-level coaches, presumably, in her corner. She's used to fighting low-level competition, whereas... Um, Demopolis is used to fighting high-level competition but losing, so it's kind of a weird divide there. I'm, I'm going to favor the most, the slightly more technical Juarez, but Demopolis is grit, man. It could absolutely win uh, a competitive decision here. So you and I are in agreement on that one, uh, Nick. That'll do it. I'll quickly run through our picks. Uh, uh, you have Caitlin Shukagian, uh, Vyacheslav Borshev over Dakota Bush. You picked Chase Sherman over Jace. Chase Collier, which I disagreed with. You picked uh, Brandon Rival over Rogerio Bontarum, which I also disagreed with. And your final pick was Court McGee over Ramiz Brahimaj. My picks were Chika Chigatse over Calvin Cater in the main event. Second pick was Joseph Holmes to beat Jamie Pickett in probably the first fight of the night. Uh, third, I chose... TJ Brown to beat Gabriel Benitez, a potentially a two-point pick if that one works out for me. And fourth, I chose Said Yukob Karhamanov to beat Brian Kelleher. My last pick was Joe Anderson Brito to beat Bill Algeo. Although, man, even as I say that right now, I'm thinking I want to change my pick to Algeo. You know what, Nick? I'm changing it to Algeo. I'm doing it. I'm changing it to Algeo by just a scrappy, gritty decision. I, I think his UFC experience will, wow. will come in handy. I, cha- I, cha- I changed your mind. Um, I don't know that you changed like the entire time I was talking about this matchup. Um, like it's not like you gave me an argument for why you disagree, but you know, Bill Aljo just like I I I did give you an argument. What was it? I talked about how I could see the way that that Anderson's technique is so reckless that I could see Aljo being patient enough to to land counters that keep keep Brito from getting any kind of rhythm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's entirely possible. M- my thought is just that Algeo on the feet will keep it at kicking range without letting Brito in close enough. And then when Brito does come in close enough, he's going to get takedowns. But Algeo is really good at getting back up, and then he's going to go back to his kicking game. Will Brito be able to keep exploding like that for three rounds in his UFC debut? Is kind of part of my logic of changing the pick here. But I'm 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 changing okay. it, man. Last second. And then uh, you and I uh, agreed that Silva Gomez Juarez might have the slightest of edges over Vanessa. Demopolis, and we'll see whether that uh, whether that fight becomes a replacement for something else that pulls out in the meantime. Uh, it's good to be back on with you, buddy. It's good to be back on trek. And now we're yeah. starting with zero zero, Nick. I'm not at a seventeen point advantage Similar. anymore, right? So I'm already I'm already worried. You are were you never? You were you kept you kept it like a seven or eight point advantage. It was that last second to last card of the year where right. I had my worst performance ever, 
And like you agreed with a bunch of the picks that were wrong. It's just the luck of the draw. No, there. no, no, anyway. no. I, I disagreed with yeah. several of the picks that you got wrong on that second to last card. I met Nick. I have I my notes right in front of me. You really want to mess with me on this, Nicola? You want a piece of this? Not really. Good. No, not really. Good. That's the important thing. Yeah, right, I, I disagreed. After... I disagreed that Amanda Nunes was going to pick beat Juliana Pena. Everybody knows Amanda Nunes had no shot in that matchup. Um, no, but Shut ser- up. <laughs> no, no, but seriously, let, let me see. I'm quickly looking at this here. Uh, Cordy Garbrandt, you did pick. I probably did agree with you ever so slightly. Ponzinibbio probably did agree with you. I didn't agree with you about yeah, he got, Augusto Ponzinibbio should have gotten that. He no, he, he shouldn't have. Most people, most people favor Joff Neal. It was competitive, though. Uh, I disagreed with you about Augusto Sakai, and I disagreed with you about Dustin Poirier. Um, so it's not like, you know, it's not like a, it was a shoe in in every way, but it was a competitive one. And that's the time that I was 17 points ahead of you. The biggest lead I think I've had uh, period in the history of yeah, our competition. Okay. You did close it a little bit closer, though, at, the, at that last episode, Nick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I had a, re- I had a really good, uh, a really good fourth quarter until that, that card. You had anyway, a, you had got, a competitive um, fourth quarter after getting handled the majority of the rest of the uh, year. <laughs> the first paper, the first pay per view uh, of the year is coming up the week after this card, and really intriguing. And was, you know, the kind of fight that is the that's the reason why we're fans and why we we've stuck around the sport. And in Gano versus Gone, because who knows the tension, the tension when those guys square off is going to be incredible. Yes, because um, really any anything can happen. We all want to see what unfolds there. And then we've got Brandon Moreno who. You know, deserve it or not, I probably wouldn't have given Davis and Figueredo um, this this shot right. Uh, right away. But it's it's okay. I think it'll I think it'll be. Uh, and listen, it's not going to be boring. Um, I don't need to see Greg Hardy, uh, Alexei Olenek. They're like, I mean, come on, like you're they're just. Anyway, I think it's the I perfect heavyweight matchup for where those two guys are in their careers. Greg Hardy's a piece of shit, and I don't need to see him fight. But like. I hope Olenek just wraps him up. I hope he just gets a quick takedown. Um, yeah, I, Mofsar, think it's, I think it's more likely that Olenek gets floored. But Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, Mofsar Evloev, Ilya Tapuria is a fucking that's incredible awesome. fight, Nick. That is That might be my favorite fight on the card, even with Cyril Gaon and Francis Ngannou. Like, that is an incredible fight. Extremely that is, high that level, is the fight fans. That's the fight fans fight on the card. We've got... Listen, Cody Stamen, who's no joke, against Saeed Nurmagomedov. That's right. Fantastic um, matchup. That you know, that's really interesting. Um, it gets a, the card gets a little soft towards the bottom, but they did reschedule, and I don't know why this guy is an opener uh, on the prelims. But Hani Barcelos, Victor Henry, uh, yep. The UFC yeah, has just Victor resigned Henry. to allowing uh, Barcelos to be like 39 years old before they put him on a main card, and, and then he'll probably just like lose because of age alone. But they just keep giving him these softballs uh, for the majority of his UFC career. They keep leaving him yeah. in well, the first lost, couple of fights. He lost to Timur Valiev, right? But but it seemed yeah. like in a in a close competitive yeah. fight that that uh, yeah. some some people apparently scored for uh, Honey Barcelos, which I didn't remember that way, but. On rewatch, I, I you know I, I might change my mind. It was a majority decision, but he does. He beat Kalita, who was a good uh, opponent. He beat Said Nurmagomedov, who's fighting on the card much higher than him. Right, who's a really good opponent. Um, Chris Gutierrez, he has a win over Kurt Holuba, uh, who was like you know kind of decent. Uh, Dan Murray, Bobby Muffet, like he's got he's got some pretty fucking good wins even pre UFC. But like he's thirty four years old now, right? Like this is the time, man. Like. 
put him into the main card, put him against top-level opposition. Instead, they're giving him Victor Henry, who's really experienced, who's like a really good fighter. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, definitely paid his dues, but it is it is weird that they keep putting him at the very early portion of the card. You know what, what else is interesting, Nick, about this card is that Brandon Moreno versus Davidson Figueredo, Brandon Moreno's gym against uh, Fight Ready MMA, we're getting a little bit of a preview with, between those two gyms and the, probably the... In fact, absolutely the lowest level fight on this coming uh, Vanessa Demopoulos versus Silvana Gomez Juarez matchup. Juarez trains with Moreno, whereas Demopoulos trains a fight ready. So, you know, so, like the, the two teams are facing off a couple of weeks in a row here, which uh, I'm not sure that one matchup will preview the, the next in any way. But I thought that was kind of interesting, Nick. Definitely a lot to look forward to on that pay-per-view, man. Yes, sir. Also, my boy uh, Wellington Terman is coming back, Nick. You've got to be excited about that. Come on. I always like when you pick him and he gets knocked out. <laughs> so fucking true, man. I, I really lashed out to that guy at, uh, at the wrong time. I'm usually good at picking out prospects. Nick, that'll do it for this episode, man. I'm looking forward to connecting next week. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how this plays out. Like, card could go either way, right? One of us could pick up a decent-sized lead uh, on this event. And I hope it's you, Nikolai. I hope that I'm that I'm the scrappy underdog that has to fight his way up I don't uh, need, this season. I, <laughs> I don't need your, your fucking, like... Oh, it's it's not pity. What what I'm really doing is I'm I'm just looking for a challenge, Nick. Can you challenge me? (laughs) Nothing. Oh, Nick. Twenty 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 two has not brought a better trash game out of you. Trash talking game. I don't know. Just the way you look right now with your white Peter and stuff. Nick, I've been I've been (laughs) home for several days because like everything is closed with with COVID nowadays. So yeah. this girl and I'm not trying to see a barber when uh, when everybody's getting COVID. I'm not trying to be in bed for a couple of weeks.